The Guard is here to help, just like we've done at uh, many other instances and times in the history of Oklahoma, such as the Murrow Building bombing, the Moore tornadoes, etc. Whenever Oklahomans need assistance, we're there for them. Don't go to bars, don't go to restaurants, don't go to places where there are crowds and gatherings. Ten people at the most if you want to do something socially. If we do that, and we do that conscientiously, as inconvenient as that might be, we will go a long way to muting the ultimate effect of this. Hi, I'm Ben Felder with The Frontier, and this is COVID-19 in Oklahoma, a daily podcast from The Frontier focused on the coronavirus pandemic in Oklahoma. On today's episode, we'll hear the latest numbers on positive tests in the state, along with details on protective gear shortages and hospitals and clinics across Oklahoma. We will also discuss Oklahoma Senator Jim Inhofe selling a stock before the coronavirus-related drop in the market. Today is Saturday, March 21st. Hello. Hey, Cassie. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you tonight? Pretty good. I uh, would say, are bad. you ready for the weekend? But I don't know what the weekend's going to look like. I don't know if it's going to look much different than right. it looked today, right? Yeah, it's, it's kind of felt like one continuous day <laughs> since two weeks ago. So, yeah, but it's good. I'm, I'm excited. I'm ready to do this. So, Cassie, let's start off with just the latest on numbers. Uh, what uh, what did the Department of Health report today in terms of positive tests in Oklahoma? Sure. So today the health department reported 49 confirmed COVID cases, and that's up only five from yesterday. Um, but to give a little bit of context, um, you know, it looks like a small jump, but experts have said that that could likely have something to do with the lack of testing in the state right now. And, you know, looking at the data from the health department, so from the time from when the numbers were updated on Thursday morning and then looking at from when the health department updated the data on Friday morning, there were a little less than 80 tests run. So there's 80 tests run and, 40, um, and five new cases confirmed. But if you look at the time between, you know, March 16th and March 19th, when the state saw a big jump from 10 to 44 cases, the state had processed more than 500 tests. Okay, wow. So, you know, there's you can kind of see a correlation there. Um, so, you know, back to testing numbers, it, you know, we've been talking about it kind of since COVID-19 started popping up in Oklahoma. Um, Oklahoma has a population of a little less than 400 four million people so so far the state has tested just under 600 people and there's another 474 tests pending so i just gave you a lot of numbers but i'll end the testing with some good news um or at least some optimistic news the uh state health department this morning which would be friday morning announced it was partnering with a private lab um, and there's several private labs in the state, and this one is Diagnostic Labs of Oklahoma. And um, officials said that should give the state's testing capacity at least a decent boost. So um, they sent 300 testing kits to that lab on Thursday in Dallas to get processed. So 
hopefully in a few days they'll get results back on those. Yeah, a lot of numbers, important numbers, and at the same time, it's kind of hard to, yeah. to process what they mean, right? Because so much of this is dependent on right. how many people are being tested. And then when we see a jump in the number of tests, we, we mm -hmm. naturally see a jump in the number of positive tests. And it's, it's just right. one of those things that we kind of have to – this we have to – take in the context altogether and, it, and it's, hard, it's hard to so do important here. yeah it is and it's hard you know over a podcast throwing all those numbers out but if you know anyone does want to kind of look further into that get you know a better understanding a visual understanding i um we do have some information on that at refrontier.org yeah definitely well we talked a little bit about this uh, in yesterday's episode is the idea that we are kind of preparing for this storm you know, what we're seeing in mm -hmm. other states, there's kind of an assumption, hopefully not, but an assumption that it's going to continue to get worse and hospitals are, are bracing for that. And one of the biggest challenges right now is uh, personal protective gear. So those those masks and, mm -hmm. and such. You've got a story coming out Saturday on, on this very issue, right? Yes, yes. Um, now, I'll, you know, give you kind of a quick summary of it. Um, so I talked to a handful of healthcare professionals across the state today. Um, doctors, I talked to the president of the OU Medical Center. Um, I talked to a representative from the Oklahoma Hospital Association just about how clinics and hospitals across the state are doing on personal protective equipment, also known in the medical world as PPE. Um, and so, yeah, there is some real concern there with running out, especially with masks right now, surgical masks, masks, um, you know, respirators. And there's some frustration and some fear. So for a little context, context, masks offer protection to healthcare workers who are interacting with people who are ill. You know, it can protect the healthcare worker. And also, you know, if someone's showing symptoms that are flu-like or might be similar to what you'd see in COVID-19, they want those patients to wear a mask as well because, you know, it protects the healthcare staff and also protects other patients. So hospital and clinics are running out of those. And I talked to a doctor today who owns a rural clinic and a month ago started having to make her own hand sanitizer. Hmm. So she's running out of the basics. Um, painters are coming in and offering her masks. She told me she had some painters come in and offer her some uh, protective suits, you know, they wear for painting or insulating. And, you know, she told me, quote, it's just been really scary, frustrating, and demoralizing for her and her staff to have to deal with that shortage. Um, and then I talked to the president of OU Medical Center, and they're reusing masks there, trying to conserve them. Wow. So it's, you know... They're hoping that more masks, you know, gowns, gloves come down from that federal pipeline, but they don't know when that's going to be or if it's going to happen. So they're being extra careful. So it is a it's a very serious problem right now. Um, state officials are working on taking stock of some PPE that the health department had stored away. And they're getting some supplies from the federal strategic national stockpile, which a lot of states are doing. But, you know, a lot, you know, all the states requesting from that federal strategic stockpile at once, Oklahoma only got a fraction of what it asked for. And um, I talked to the health department today about when those supplies might be passed on to hospitals. Mm 
and they didn't have a solid date on when that would happen. So it's a work in progress. Yeah. I saw a letter from the State Department of Ed sent to school leaders today, I think it was today, uh, recommending mm-hmm. that schools donate some of their extra uh, uh, hand sanitizer. And, you know, they may not have as many masks, but maybe some nurses' offices do. So um, it was kind of an illustration, one, of the need, and then, two, this you know, continuing belief that uh, schools are probably not going to open up anytime soon, if at all, the rest of the school year. Um, so, yeah, definitely definitely a right. big issue. And we're seeing this all over, right? And that kind of that kind of makes the problem you know, tough here, I imagine, when other states who are kind of further along are also having this this challenge. It kind of, uh, you know, we're we're probably down the pecking order, I would imagine, from that federal supply. Yeah, exactly, exactly, Ben. So usually, you know, when you look at the national stockpile, you know, they're drawing it for disasters like hurricanes or t- tornadoes or floods. But now we're in a situation where all states, you know, are in this emergency and everyone needs everything at once. So that makes it more difficult for sure. Yeah. Well, um, that story, if you're listening to this podcast, it's, it's up at readfrontier.org. So I encourage you to go check that out. Uh, Cassie, what, what are some other questions that you're going to be asking uh, in the next couple of days uh, throughout the weekend? I know you're continuing to monitor, um, you know, the testing numbers that come out and, uh, and I would imagine mm-hmm. that we'll start to, we'll continue to see those updates throughout the weekend as well. Right. Right. So, you know, last week in the health department continued to update those numbers daily. And I, I am going to continue looking at testing a lot just because it's, you know, it's really important. Experts and doctors are telling me that, you know, it's hard to fight something when they don't know what they're fighting. They don't know the magnitude of the problem. So uh, testing is definitely something I'm following very closely. And also, you know, continuing to follow along with hospital preparation and how our healthcare system is doing as more patients become ill with COVID-19. Um, as of Friday, the health department just started, I think, Thursday, reporting how many patients have been hospitalized from this virus. And um, Thursday, there were four, and Friday, there were eight. So, you know, as we see that number going up, it's it's just going to be really important to look at how the hospitals are, hospitals are doing, look at how the healthcare system is doing, and, you know, see how many ICU beds are available in the state. And um, that's something that me and um, our colleague, Brianna Bailey, we're going to look at that really closely next week and do an analysis um, county by county to see how the state is looking overall with uh, that bed capacity. Yeah. I'm curious, you've talked to a lot of health officials in the last, weeks, but especially, you know, mentioned a few today. Uh, what's their outlook? Yeah. So um, I've heard a lot that this is uncharted territory. So there is some cautious optimism there. Um, the health officials I've talked to, they, they're preparing for the worst, but they're hoping it doesn't get to that point. Um, I, you know, the OU Medical Center president I talked to today, they're planning on putting up kind of similar to military tents adjacent to the hospital next week to prepare for it. And they have other, you know, they have a virtual incident command center that, you know, they have certain steps they are, well, they could trigger if the um, pandemic was the worst in the state that they're hoping they don't have to activate. So 
people are prepared. They're very cautious. But I think at the same time, you know, people are trying to be optimistic because I guess you just kind of have to be in a situation like this. Yeah. I'm going to later on the episode play a a video or audio from a video on this subject. But the Oklahoma National Guard Mm -hmm. has activated its joint task force here in Oklahoma City. And um, one of the generals is saying, hey, we're coming together like we would in preparation or or in response to be prepared to respond uh, like we were after the 95 bombing, like we are after tornadoes. Mm-hmm. Um, there is uh, this this is a state that has has had its fair share of disasters. And so on, on one hand, you kind of hope that there's a level of preparedness to respond if it gets to that level. It also just makes you think that we're entering the storm season. And I almost don't want to really think about that too much right now. But uh, just mm-hmm. what else could be added on top of what the state deals with? Right, right. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's, you know, kind of in the back of people's minds, but it hasn't really been discussed yet. I think people are just kind of dealing with one crisis at a time. But yeah, Oklahoma is, you know, I think people before Governor Stitt declared a state of emergency, they thought that was really a drastic step. You know, a lot of people did, but Oklahoma declares state of emergencies all the time. You know, because you know, we have tornadoes, we have floods, so it's not uncommon for Oklahoma to see a response, you know, emergency response, but not in this capacity, obviously. Yeah, definitely, definitely a different situation. I was talking to a mayor of a small town the other yeah. day who said, hey, I, you know, in one year we've had a tornado, we've had a flood. I mean, it's obviously something different, but, uh, uh, you know, municipalities, mm-hmm. counties are definitely used to being in a position of, of needing relief and, and needing help. Um, well, Cassie, I, I'm going to end every time, every time we have a conversation uh, with this question for you because I just think it's good for our mental mm-hmm. health. Tell me something good you've seen today. What's something that uh, gave you a smile or at least uh, took your mind off briefly uh, what we're dealing with? Yeah, okay. I don't know if anyone will think this is interesting, but this is what's getting me through my day today. Um, so three weeks ago today, actually, um, my husband and I got a puppy. So... Every day, his name's Walter, and he's 10 weeks old now. So every day when I come home, he just kind of, it's kind of like a clean slate to my day. You know, it's like simple, it's pure, it's very wholesome. So that's that's been really nice to come home to at the end of the day. That's helped me a lot. Yeah, this is a good, perfect timing to get a, a, to have a new puppy. I know, I know. It was, it was just, it was an accident, but it was, it was the perfect timing because when we got him, you know, this was totally off the radar yeah so it was it was good timing what about you what's what's your happy moment for today i don't know if this is happy i just think it's kind of a distraction so this is almost an unofficial holiday in oklahoma because today is the release of tiger king are you you're aware that's of this, right? right the joe exotic I documentary series on, on netflix <laughs> okay yeah so um <laughs> this is i think this is the distraction we all need right this is the distraction america needs but uh mm-hmm. the, the joe exotic documentary series of this uh this colorful character in oklahoma um i just think it's uh, at, at a time when everyone's stuck indoors um and probably doing a lot of binge watching um perfect timing for us for us here in oklahoma i agree it's have you started watching it yet? I have started watching it, um, and there's, there's, it's, it's. I, I'm, I'm engrossed in it. I, I find it very interesting. Uh, a lot of things I didn't it, know. It I thought I'm surprised that I'm learning things about this, this story. There's just so much about this man and his circle. It, uh, it's it just, keeps, it just, every time you think it's kind of, you know, 
evening out and relaxing, something weirder happens. So it's 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 a really good, it's a great series. It's it's just, it keeps you on the edge of your seat. I'll say that. Yeah, there are a lot of scenes where it's Joe going into the middle of the tiger cage, acting as if mm-hmm. there is no danger at all to to find a tiger that's willing to take a swipe at him. And there's been a few times right. where it's reminded me maybe of some people in public who are, uh, I don't know, maybe still going out to eat or are going to crowded places, uh, just blissfully unaware right. um, that uh, we're facing a pandemic that very much like a tiger can, uh, uh, can strike pretty quick. So, um, right. Anyway, so that, that's kind of my, not, not as, not as great as a puppy, but, uh, but a distraction nonetheless. <laughs> it is a good, it is a definite, it's a good distraction. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, Cassie, I will let you get to back to watching the Tiger King. Um, and uh, thanks for your time. I hope you enjoy some of your weekend. All right. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. Take care. Have a yep, good you weekend. Bet. You too. These are difficult times, and there seem to be more questions than answers these days. But we at the Frontier are working hard to give Oklahomans insight into how COVID-19 is impacting our state's most vulnerable residents, what government leaders are doing in response, and the context you need to navigate the coronavirus crisis. You can find all our coverage at readfrontier.org. We are a nonprofit news organization with reporters in Oklahoma City and Tulsa. Support from readers is what fuels our impact journalism. If you're already a supporter, then thank you. If not, and you are in a position to contribute even a few bucks a month, I'd invite you to consider helping sustain our work. Thanks for listening. Following a story in the New York Times, the Frontier's editor-in-chief, Dylan Goforth, reported that stocks Oklahoma Senator Jim Inhofe sold in the weeks and days leading up to the COVID-19-fueled stock market crash saved the longtime congressman between $68,000 and $136,000. And Dylan joins me right now on the phone from Tulsa to talk about his story. Yeah, I was, um, I mean, like everyone else, I read the, the story um, last night and then uh, you know, when, at first it was just about uh, mainly uh, two Republican senators from other states, and you know, it all wasn't included. And it, it's funny, I actually saw a friend of mine on Twitter was was joking about, hey, just waiting for uh, you know, Inhofe to be implicated in this thing, um, just kind of as a joke. And then two hours later, um, some uh, someone on Twitter had gone and looked at at his financial statements, and then sure enough, there were um, stocks that went down after that uh, January twenty fourth meeting, and so. That was, you know, last night, and and I kind of thought this morning that, you know, no one was really talking about, like, or looking at what, um, you know, the dollar amount, like the specific stocks and how much, you know, how much each stock had gone down since he sold. And I thought that was probably, I mean, that was a big part of the story because the, the question was, was sort of Thursday night, you know, did, was this a, a thing that where Inhofe was, you know, doing insider trading or trying to get a whole, ahead of the game? And, yeah, it was a good chunk. I mean, it was... You know, between sixty-eight thousand and one hundred and thirty-six thousand dollars, he saved by like yeah. getting rid of those stocks when he did. Yeah, I mean, and there's a couple levels to this to this story that I think draws a lot of attention. One is just the act of it, right? I mean, this this kind of and it's still questions about whether or not this was legal, but this kind of insider trading mentality of you know lawmakers that are getting uh, you know important briefings and and are probably in a position to kind of predict what the market might do. I, the, the other side of this, too, is that this is such a tough economic time for so many Americans, and it seems like it's just going to get tougher. Um, and it just, uh, at the very least, it's it's just not a, a great look 
um, when, yeah. you, when you already have a lot of concerns uh, towards the federal government on how how prepared are they, were they, how serious did they take this. And so the idea that they were taking it seriously, at least personally, when it came to their personal finances, um, you know, draws a lot of attention. Inhofe also responded to this report. What was his What was his response? Right. He said that he didn't attend the... So the whole way this came about was the, the sort of revelation of this um, January 24th meeting this, with all the senators about sort of the coronavirus and how it was actually, a, you know, a serious... You know, at that point, it was just sort of, I think, mostly thought of this thing that was happening in China and everyone was sort of waiting to see what, what happened. And um, it was, there was this meeting January 24th, the New York Times reported on about how... Um, they, the senators are being told it's a very, you know, it is an important thing. It is going to be a very serious thing. It's coming to America, and you know, it'll have these serious ramifications. Like you said, it's not a great look um, for a couple of reasons. Not just because, um, you, you know, you're talking about people who are losing their jobs all across the country, and you know, here are these senators who are, you know, at least it appears to be looking after their own um, interests, but uniquely to um, Senator Inhofe, it, the news. You know about this meeting, and then you know the kind of connecting the dots between it and the the stock dump um, was that the day before the the Thursday stories, and you know this sort of implicated him somewhat. He had voted no on the uh, phase two coronavirus spending bill. And he had all you know a bunch of social media heat about that too, because he he was one of eight senators who voted no on that bill. Um, and so you know it, the optics were not great, you know. People were accusing him of, of not helping, you know, Oklahomans by voting no on this, not supporting them, and then you find out a day later that, you know, he had he had gotten rid of these stocks right before they had just like you know fallen off a cliff. So yeah, it was not a not a great um, look, I guess. Yeah. Well, good good context uh, and good detail on the story um, that got a lot of attention, a, a chance to uh, to kind of dive in a little bit closer and see exactly what what uh, what went on. So uh, Dylan, appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. In response to the coronavirus pandemic, the Oklahoma National Guard has activated its joint task force at the Oklahoma National Guard Regional Training Institute in Oklahoma City. Here's audio from a video the Guard put out today explaining their role. It opens with Brigadier General Tommy Mancino, commander of the joint task force. It also includes Health Commissioner Gary Cox. Currently, the governor of the state of Oklahoma has authorized us to provide planning and logistical support to Oklahoma agencies that are acting in the lead in answering this COVID-19 response mission set. The guardsmen behind me, as you can see, uh, look like they're doing a lot of computer work, and they are. But what they're really doing is planning ahead for future operations that we're anticipating the governor may request of us uh, through the lead agency, Oklahoma State Department of Health, that we would execute in the coming weeks. And this planning will ensure that when we do execute those missions, that they're done in the most efficient, timely, and best manner possible. We appreciate the partnership and the cooperation there, and it's going to be critical to getting through the COVID-19 pandemic that we're actually experiencing now. It's most likely going to be a long-term event, uh, and so we need all the resources and all the help that we can get, and we're very appreciative of that. The Guard is here to help, just like we've done at uh, many other 
instances and times in the history of Oklahoma, such as the Murrow Building bombing, the Moore tornadoes, etc. Whenever Oklahomans need assistance, we're there for them. And there is absolutely no discussion about martial law in the state of Oklahoma. We're hoping that everyone pulls together as a community and that we all work together to solve this vital problem that we're facing right now with this COVID-19 virus. One of the things I've told my soldiers is, in order to flatten the curve, if you look at that model, you'll see a dotted line. And that dotted line represents the healthcare industry and healthcare personnel in Oklahoma. And I've told my soldiers that our number one mission here is to support that line. So we're going to be doing everything we can to help the real heroes, which is our healthcare workers. In a bid to stop the spread of COVID-19, the Oklahoma prison system has locked its doors to newly sentenced prisoners from county jails from around the state. The Frontier's Brianna Bailey has reported that depending on how long the crisis lasts, it could cause a logjam at Oklahoma's two largest county jails in Oklahoma City and Tulsa. The Oklahoma County Detention Center in Oklahoma City has battled overcrowding for years. On Friday, the jail had 188 prisoners who were waiting to be transferred to prison. The county typically transfers about 50 prisoners to the state prison system each week after sentencing. On Friday, the State Department of Human Resources announced all office visits to Oklahoma Human Services will be by appointment only. Oklahoma DHS offices had an average of 2,000 visits per day this week. Of those, the agency estimates a vast majority could have been solved by online resources or via telephone. That's going to do it for today's episode. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you tomorrow.